Hey, welcome to the Best Practice Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Fennessy, and I'm joined by Master Anna Planner, Donna Schumar. During this podcast journey, we hope to explore high-level Anaplan modeling concepts and connect you, the listener, with the expert Anaplanners that are at the forefront of the platform's innovation. Stay tuned for thought-provoking conversations with our amazing guests. We plan to feature guests that span multiple industries, such as retail, finance, supply chain, sales, and many others, as well as bringing in pioneers in advanced data modeling and data integrations. Our goal is to provide our audience with as much free knowledge, value, and insights into the ecosystem. So we hope you join us in that mission. Welcome back to season three of the Best Practice Podcast. For this episode, I am your host, John Furneaux. As always, we're joined with Donna Sumar, Master Anna Planner and Anna Plan Extraordinaire. Today, we have a very special guest coming at us from the data side of, of planning, Luke Kamiski. I met Luke at a alumni planning event for a former partner, and we just hit it off with our love for data. So we brought him on to talk about some some uh, data visualization, data migration strategies, and a whole lot of interesting data stuff. So without further ado, welcome, Luke. Hey, thanks for having me. Happy to have you. Uh, we like to start things off pretty simple with a introduction of where you were, how you got to this point, and everything in between. So if you wouldn't mind giving us a, an update on your life and how you got to this point in your career and owning your own company. Yeah, for sure. So... Uh... As John mentioned, my name is Luke Kamiski, uh, born and raised in Wisconsin. Uh, I have a background in computer science, which ultimately led me into this career that I have now with data analytics. Uh, what I learned during college was that I didn't want to be building mobile apps in a cubicle all day, and I was definitely the most extroverted computer scientist in my class. Uh, and so I found my perfect blend within data analytics because it allowed me to work with some insanely cool technologies, but also spend a lot of time working directly with business leaders to help them understand how to drive their own business forward. Uh, my first job out of college was working as a data engineer uh, for a big international organization. Uh, really cool opportunity to see how data warehousing was done at scale with a team of 70, 80 other BI developers. Uh, ultimately found my way into um, consulting. Uh, really great opportunity to see just the fast-paced nature of how we can consult and do data analytics across a variety of different organizations and see how uh, so many organizations have very similar data problems and just a little bit of nuance in how they run their business. Uh, and then ultimately, after a few years of uh, consulting with the bigger shop, I, my wife and I both sold everything and quit our jobs and traveled the world for a year. Uh, something we called our quarter life retirement before starting a family. And then when I got back, because it, I was essentially unemployed for 12 months, I asked for my wife's permission to see if I could be unemployed for a little bit longer to see if I could start my own company, uh, which ultimately led to data drive and uh, what we're doing today, which I'm sure we'll start to get into as part of this conversation. Yeah. So that's quite the introduction. Um, one of the things that stood out to me when we first met was that quitting your job and traveling the world well, the States rather with your wife and, and kind of that experience and then coming home and trying to find a job. But I'm really curious, you know, <laughs> what was traveling like? You know, what did you focus on? Can you kind of give us some insight into that experience? Yeah, for sure. So uh, my wife and I had both had experience traveling, uh, just not together. 
And every day we spent working at our jobs, we knew that there was going to be more and more excuses of why we, we couldn't leave and drop everything to do it. Uh, so there really wasn't a master plan behind what we were trying to do beyond just trying to get life experiences and experience the world together. Uh, we had a one-way ticket to Tokyo was the start of our plan. Uh, and just the clothes in our backpack to get there. Um, as we traveled, it wasn't glamorous travel by any means. We actually survived on $50 a day per person. And because I'm a data guy, we had a spreadsheet that that managed that. Uh, and as we stayed at hostels, we would meet other people, other fellow, fellow travelers that would tell us really what is the best spot to go to and really just bought plane tickets about five days in advance. And the main strategy was to follow the summer. Uh, so we just moved between the southern and northern hemispheres wherever the sun was, and it, the plan worked out. Now, we'll get to some of the nitty-gritty data stuff, but uh, I do want to stay on this for a minute because I, I think it's very interesting to be able to assimilate to other cultures and travel the world and experience that. Um, so what are some of your favorite places you got to experience? And you know, if you had to move to one, which one would you pick as your top choice? Yeah, the the two go-tos that I always talk about is one, both my wife and I are uh, very nature-oriented people. So uh, we absolutely loved New Zealand. It lives up to its hype as uh, just a haven for just getting into nature and losing yourself. Uh, we uh, landed and rented a Toyota Corolla and bought $100 worth of camping gear at about the Walmart equivalent. And for two weeks, we spent uh, sleeping under the stars every day in New Zealand. One of the few countries you can you're able to pull that off without getting arrested, uh, and it was amazing. Uh, the second one that is probably more of like a longer term play that I really enjoyed was just Southeast Asia in general. Uh, one of the cu- countries, Myanmar or Burma, uh, was probably the one of the more difficult ones that we had to travel to, just because they have no tourism industry, and for a white Midwest non military male. Uh, feeling like a minority in a country was a pretty enlightening experience for me. Uh, And I would say in general, like to your other question of like, where would I stay long term? I I would definitely be living in Southeast Asia just because I loved it so much. And there's just so many cool, unique opportunities you can do over there. That's awesome. Yeah, I I have a desire to travel over to Australia and that part and probably New Zealand as well. It's absolutely beautiful. And I love how, especially in New Zealand, they're able to like pack every bit of nature into like one island. You got mountains, you got glaciers, you got jungle. Like it's just everything you could imagine packed into one place. Yeah, you do have to be careful though, because that nature can sometimes try to kill you. So that's one of the things. (laughs) For sure. It comes with the territory. Awesome. There's another piece that you talked about in your intro as well. Um, Data problems, helping people with data problems. We, we both know, we all know that everyone has data issues. They come up at various points in a project implementation, new implementation. I'm just curious, off the top of your head, we'll, we'll dive a little bit deeper, but what are some of the data issues that come to mind when you're dealing with a client? When we go to talk about uh, just general data strategies with clients, uh, a lot of times it's uh, just how many options exist on in the marketplace. I think it's it, it can be really confusing and hard for somebody who doesn't work day-to-day in data analytics to understand even where to start. And even outside of just all the cool like software options and uh, terminology that we tend to throw around in the space of like AI and machine learning, uh, I think a lot of business owners that I discover are, are just like trying to figure out who, who do I hire, right? Like is, is it a data analyst, a data scientist, a data engineer? Uh, like wh- what do I actually need to be successful doing this? Uh, and so that, that seems to be the common theme that I find across it is just uh, I spend a lot of my time educating business leaders on how to even 
break into data analytics? Because I think everyone can agree at this point that being a data-driven organization can be an incredibly unfair advantage that you have. Uh, but how you get there, there's a lot of different paths that organizations can take, and uh, it can be often overwhelming. And so just helping simplify that part of it for them. Yeah, and I think that's a huge call out to kind of my next natural step is how do you navigate a saturated data integration software world? Because I know my myself, I do get excited when I see the shiny new toy, right? There's one I stepped into recently. I'm like, ooh, this is new, and it's fun, and it looks awesome. Uh, but it kind of distracts you away from the business need so so what is your strategy with helping them navigate? Is it really just getting down to what do you need and why? Or is there more nuance? For a lot of our clients, we start out with uh, just really being clear about what is the strategy behind we're, behind why we're trying to be a data analytics company. And a lot of times, instead of framing it up as, you know, we we really need to be doing AI or we really need to be uh, using the latest, greatest and cloud ETL tools, it's more about where could we inject data and metrics into our day-to-day decisions that we make to make us smarter instead of operating off of gut? Uh, and so a lot of a lot of times with our data strategy approach, it's, it's around defining very clear metrics that are going to be oriented around uh, either behavior or actions. And once you have that in mind from a business perspective of like, if I was given this data, I would be able to make this very real decision that could bring b- measurable business value then we can actually start to work our way backwards of where is all of that data residing? What are the processes in place to collect that data? Who's accountable for making that data available? And then only then when you have all of those pieces in place about what we're actually trying to achieve is like, okay, then we can go out and do the research of, all right, what what ELT, what warehouse, what data viz technology is going to allow us to get that in front of the right people at the right time. So in terms of kind of what you guys offer in terms of like your technology package, is there a particular combination or suite of technologies that work better for some clients versus others? Yeah, great question. Uh, like a good consultant, I'll say it depends. Uh, we, I have definitely a perspective on technologies that work really well for the organizations we work with. And, and to give some context, like our our clients are often ones that are not sure where to start to invest in technology and and are really looking for a more of a self-service environment where you have not only the ability to report on data and access reports, but also be able to ask your own questions in a very ad hoc way. Uh, The trick being without having to learn SQL, right? Uh, And so a lot of our technologies, we we closely partner with a lot of the industry leading technologies. I think things like Tableau, Snowflake, uh, Fivetran, Matillion. Uh, there's, There's a lot of very popular technologies that we have a perspective on, but I think for organizations, if they can stay more grounded in what are what is the capabilities that they're trying to build, uh, it's hard to go wrong with any technology. They all have kind of their unique nuances that may may make it more sense from a cost perspective or a total cost of ownership perspective. Um, but to really understand the nuance of that, you'd really have to understand like what the organization is looking to support and how in the weeds they want to get in their own management. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that um, in terms of going into the weeds with their own management because like in terms of what you've noticed as like the number one hang up for for your customers in terms of getting them on board with the data strategy what what is kind of that number one hurdle you have to overcome to get the buy-in from a customer yeah to get the get the buy-in i think um part of it is just getting a early win that executive or a management can really get their hands around uh, i think it's easy to get lost in the excitement and buzz around analytics and all the cool things that you can build. 
And a lot of these tools have made it easier than ever for organizations to be able to jump in in a matter of weeks, not months or years, to be able to provide something meaningful. And so a lot of how we structure our delivery model is to get people excited about data, of course, but part of that excitement has to come from having a tangible data product that they can make a decision on. And so for us, what we focus on is trying to get that like full... I'm going to use an analogy here, but like a full data house built instead of just focusing on building this masterclass and data plumbing for your house and then focus on building the living room. We're going to we're going to build a very crude like um, structure on top of everything, get you moved in, get a feel for the place, and then we'll continue to add paint to the walls if I keep going with this analogy. Right. Uh, and I think so often as practitioners, we get so caught up in like the the latest and greatest technologies, like in the basement of our house that nobody else is going to really care about because uh, the business owners are and the executives that are making the decisions are are more about like, what is what does that experience look like when I walk into my brand new house? That's what they care about. Yeah, I think you, you kind of hit it on the head there at the end is a lot of times you'll see companies strategize and buy software to solve issues that they think they have. And then you're, you have all this technical debt that's accrued and really don't have anybody to take care of it. it usually falls back onto the IT team. Uh, it does generate some turnover, right? You can have people who are just worn out, burnt out from having to handle all of the stuff. They don't quite understand it. The training ramp up, change management's difficult. I've, I've seen this product happen. So uh, I think your analogy of the house is very smart and very intelligent that you don't want to just throw them in there and be like, all right, look where we start the basement and we never leave. You want to get that structure and kind of have them live in it and feel what they actually want and what they need in their day to day. And we'll apply that as we grow. So I think that's, that's smart, but there is a, there's an interesting piece called cost associated with some of this data stuff, right? And we see it on our side in Anaplan where um, a lot of times we'll go in and data hasn't been discussed. Data integration is going to be an automation issue at some point in the project for, for a less than enterprise company and cost is a big thing, right? So how do you navigate the cost of these tools, the cost of implementation, you know, consultancy, any of that? Yeah, it's actually a, a really good, you know, segue into how we structure a lot of our services too, because uh, what I found from our experience is that people often underestimate how much investments actually needed to pull off a successful data-driven capability. On one, on one hand, a lot of organizations think, all right, like, let, let me build out a data team full of really smart people and they'll help figure that out. Uh, you know, the, the downside of that approach is that one, it's, it's never been harder to try to hire amazing data talent right now because it is such a hot market for that. Um, so a lot of small, mid-sized companies are really left competing against a lot of big players for just one or two of those amazing data professionals to help them be successful. And I think because data professionals have such a um, a great market to walk into, it can be really hard to handle the cost of both of their like existing salaries and benefits, but also just the cost of retention to keep them around. Um, the second piece of the world that I came from was more of in the in, in the consulting realm. So organizations are like, all right, I can't build my own team, but at least I can uh, rent a data professional to help come in and build out a, a very uh, well-proven perspective of what a uh, data platform should look like. And I, I'm very used to that approach because for years I've been doing that type of professional consulting, come in, build something amazing. And the unfortunate part for a lot of these organizations is that they just, the money runs out at some point or it, it becomes a point where it like doesn't become terribly cost-effective to keep a consultant like me in there and operating. 
and you know, I, I'm not, I'm not afraid to say that I'm sure like 50% of our, my solutions that I've, I've built over the years are probably sitting on a shelf somewhere just because I helped get an organization like ahead of their skis because that's where they wanted to be, but they weren't given that really long-term data culture support to help people actually feel empowered to make decisions and even know what to do with the data once they get it in their hands. And so when we think about, uh, some of the the risk of like trying to build a data program. It's like, how can we provide a way for organizations to build out a data team that can be there for the long haul, but also get access to proven architecture that has been known to work instead of trying to hire people that have to figure that out for the first time in their careers. And so a lot of what data drive is really um, focused on as our bread and butter offering is really this analytics accelerator that helps organizations blend the two mix of bringing in experts, consultants with a proven perspective but also having a data team that's going to stick around for the long term to help that culture be successful. Because I think that some of the biggest barriers that I see is just organizations not having uh, that proper support system so that people can actually feel empowered to use the data. And if you don't, if you don't have people actually accessing reports or doing, making any decision differently because they access insights, every investment you've made up to that point is pretty wasted. Yeah, I think that brings me to my next question too, at what point during a software implementation should a customer be thinking about uh, bringing in this data strategy or thinking about how their data flows and really drives some of their other purchasing and, and kind of thinking about it from our planning perspective where we're using planning tools, you know, data is the most necessary piece. And I find that it's oftentimes the last thing discussed if it's ever discussed at all. So at what point in a software implementation or a company growth strategy do you talk about data yeah like when it when it starts to feel blatantly painful <laughs> so a lot of a lot of the organizations that we run into are uh they have these very elaborate you know it's always an excel spreadsheet behind the scenes right this like macro laden spreadsheet that somebody built back in the, the late 90s it magically still runs but everyone's accepted that it's going to take 40 seconds to load because of all of the historical data that it has in it like that's a telltale sign that there might be an outgrown data strategy that needs a slight modernization to it. Um, so a lot of them, a lot of the organizations I I help executives help understand how much time is being spent by some of your top paid executives, and spending Sunday night copying pasting data copying pasting data from various systems, doing their little tweaks because they happen to know like the data's wrong. So I'm gonna like quickly apply a very data governancey rule to it every Sunday night. Uh, that it just becomes really unsustainable. And frankly, it's just not a good use of company dollars to have your most creative people in your organization. I mean, anyone in your organization spending time on, on something that a machine should and could be doing for you. Uh, so that's, that, that's usually the point where uh, once people are feeling that pain enough, they would be like, all right, now we, we're, we're spending all this money to collect this data into really cool applications, but we're not doing a darn thing with it. And that, that's a really good telltale sign to start talking about a more of a modern data strategy. Speaking of data and the strategy and spending your Sunday nights cleaning it up, what is a data? Now, I'll, I'll just preface it by saying most people's data is not clean, right? It's not ready to just go right into the, the source system or the target system rather and, and be calculated. So is that something you kind of manage where you're like, Hey, this is how the data should be cleaned. Does your team clean the data? What's that data clean cleansing strategy look like? Yeah, it's a, a very much of a, it depends, uh, at, at all 
all points of the process, we're of course going to try to push for people to change how they're inputting the data to make it smarter and easier to use. Uh, of course, that isn't always possible with some of the user interfaces and applications that are out there. So there, there's always going to be bits and pieces of data governance that needs to fall within the tech stack. But more more than anything, I would say 80, 90 percent of the time, it's about how business users are entering that data or have been told to enter the data. Um, and I think one of the cool side effects of actually applying a data analytics strategy and particularly getting data visualization out there is that that first dashboard is frankly going to look really miserable because of how poor quality the data is. But there's nothing more beneficial than people seeing that for the first time and realizing that we need to make a change if we're going to actually move the needle forward on being a data-driven organization. And so I've, I've become very accustomed to the hot mess that is that first dashboard reveal meeting and uh, getting people, all right, like if you actually want this data to be insightful, if you actually are annoyed by how many outliers and nulls and uh, just frankly, some weird filter values that are in there, uh, that wasn't the data team's fault. That was uh, definitely something in the process or um, a people change behavior that uh, would make this a lot more useful for you. It's uh, it's interesting that you you have that realization in terms of, you know, like you've kind of embraced the idea that just showing the customer the data, their their own dirty data is just kind of the best best uh, medicine at times. Um, how how did you kind of end up having that realization? And do you feel like seeing is believing? Is that something you generally believe in? Yeah, I mean that's a, that's the power of data visualization, right? It's the last I would say like ten years in the analytics industry has really been all about self service analytics and data visualization, and uh, people really are drawn towards a story. They're drawn towards that visual piece. And so the more we as a data team try to like triage the data behind the scenes, like it'll always continue to be a problem if the people inputting the data or the process that creates that data to begin with continues to be that, that painful factor. It's the same, it's the same reason why so many organizations have people having copy and pasting data in there. It's like, it's become part of the culture, but it doesn't need to be. Uh, and so I'm, I'm a huge believer in, you know, data visualization is, is seen as believing and it's getting people to take action on it. And I don't, I don't try to hide people from the mess that's been created. I think people need to be exposed to it. Yeah, I think you bring up an interesting relatable point between us and you as well with the two different um, services we offer us be on the planning side. We've seen, you know, dirty data. We've shown them the result of that. And we try to push back and say, hey, this is the process that we need to put in place. You know, you don't really have one. It's kind of why you're going down this route. So let's establish that now. Uh, sometimes it goes over really well. Change management's easy, getting people to to follow suit. Um, do you tend to have more buy-in when you're like, hey, this is your data. If you don't want it to look broken, if you don't want it to look like this, we need to clean it. We need to change your inputs. We need to standardize this. Do you get a lot of pushback? Pushback might not be the right word. I think it's a a common perspective of what the problem is. And I think it's why 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 people like bring in consultants or professionals that have been through it before is they're they're looking for a little bit of that tough love treatment. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I don't think anyone wants to be like always exposed to the the mess that's been created, but it it definitely is a uh, a necessary part of trying trying to fix the root root cause of the problem, which it should be every consultant's goal is to get to the root cause of of why we're not getting value from your data. And if you have to bring in somebody that is just creating duct tape, like that's just going to only increase the complexities of that solution. 
Um, so yeah, I'm I, like I've said before, I'm a huge fan of the tough love <laughs> approach, yeah. especially when it comes when it comes to uh, you know just data governance and strategy because it, it is a very messy messy topic, uh, and I don't think people can get excited about things like data governance <laughs> unless it's like a very real like this is going to stop me from being able to achieve some of the business goals I'm looking for. Then then it makes it more real. You're starting to measure dollars against it, and that makes it more interesting for people. Yeah, I think it definitely says it's one thing to point out all the problems without a solution. But, you know, if you're pointing out logical issues that could benefit the company if they're resolved and you have the solutions to do that, then they're going to be a little bit more receptive to that. Right. Which kind of leads into the next question here. So you work a lot on culture, setting the data culture at a company and establishing best practices um, of how things should be managed. You know, obviously the goal and what I respect about your company so much is you're not there to stay there. You're there to teach companies how to take over and be better with the information that you teach them. So what does that process look like where you're driving that culture and you know, what could a, a prospective client expect to get from you and your team in that mission? Yeah. One, one thing we've learned just over the years of doing just traditional consulting is that, that data culture Data, data culture and data literacy are just such a critical component for making analytics successful. It, it really is truly what separates some of these best-in-class self-service environments that have implemented, you know, tools like Tableau and Power BI versus the ones that are like, all right, we spent all this money on this infrastructure, yet we're not yielding the results of it. And so it really all comes down to the process and frameworks that are around it. But more importantly, it's like is the messaging from executive leadership aligning with the expectations and availability of your and the skill sets of your uh, all the frontline users to actually feel comfortable at accessing data? And I think one thing I've always taken for granted is like I've, I've always grown up in like computer science and like data analytics, like give me a spreadsheet, I'm going to be drawn towards it. But there's there's a more than majority part of the population that like that they don't naturally go towards that. And so to, to achieve this dream of being a data-driven organization, you have to start building a data culture. And what I love about our focus in our model, it's, it's this mutual success of that, you know, for you to feel the return on investment on investing in analytics, it comes through people making smarter data-driven decisions and actually using the platform. And so like you, you kind of mentioned it already, like we're in, we're in the organization to help them move from no data capabilities to eventually taking their own data-driven capabilities in-house. We just know that there is a journey in there. And part of that is getting the, the right people on the team to be invested in growing that type of data culture and feeling comfortable accessing that data and making decisions from that data. And that is always going to be a learning journey. That isn't a one-off consulting project. And I think why, uh, organizations that have like found success in their data investment is spending the time to run internal user groups, do knowledge sharing, share out case studies of like where one department was able to find something interesting in the data to help people connect the dots. Because so many, so many people don't always think in that line of how data can help them be smarter. But once you unlock that in somebody, it can, again, create that unfair advantage for a company to, to really go quick in the market. Awesome insights. Yeah, I think you know, those tips and the strategy there is huge to helping a client get to that next level. And I think that's the beauty of your business model and your ability to help and teach and coach is you can really be implemented at any point in a company's life cycle to help them get to that next level. So I think that's what's so interesting. Um, but real quick, could you briefly explain what a fractional 
chief data officer really means and what it entails? Yeah, so our our bread and butter service is the analytics accelerator. Um, some call it a fractional data officer or data team as a service. Um, when it comes particularly to a fractional data officer, it's I mean it's it's a very popular uh, title nowadays, a chief data officer in a lot of the Fortune five hundreds. But uh, what these individuals are responsible for is like obviously setting setting a large part of the data strategy, but understanding what are all the data assets that are being created, how those data assets are being governed. And then specifically how how those different data assets are actually being used to drive the company's vision forward. And so what we're finding is that a lot of a lot of organizations, big and small, like they want uh, somebody who's in the details of of the data, or at least understands what data has been collected and where is our competitive edge at. Uh, and so what I love about my role in being able to you know help implement Data Drives Analytics Accelerator for a lot of organizations is uh, being able to have a seat at the table to help hear where leaders want to go from a sales, marketing, operations perspective. And the awesome thing about data is that it's like literally in every single function. So we have an opportunity to like optimize and help other departments achieve their dreams through the data that they're already collecting. It doesn't have to be treated as its own function. We get to spread across everything that is about that organization and help them move forward. And it's, it's just an awesome journey. Yeah, I think that's a piece about data that I haven't really thought of before is its ability to stretch across every department you know, obviously our goal is to help you connect your departments and plan with them uh, but sometimes we do get siloed off just because of what budget allows or or just what teams are willing to do the planning or or what's necessary for a company's growth in the immediate but i think at every stage data allows you to tap into those other areas and uncover you know a holistic uh, business strategy for them or the pain points that they can begin to resolve so that's a interesting piece about data that makes me love it even more. Obviously, I'm not nearly <laughs> as uh, in the weeds with data as you are, but I, I appreciate your strategy. I've done a lot of research on kind of how you position your company. And, you know, I think it's it's pretty telling to be able to show your prices and show people what they're getting on your website directly right there. It's like, hey, this is no BS. This is what you're getting. Um, you know, pick the plan that's right for you. But, you know, we're going to help you regardless of, of your position, I think here at FSF for kind of taking some strategies from that, you know, a nod to your, your business strategy and your way you do things. And I think we want to provide that same idea. We love to coach and train and, and develop talent um, to get them to be able to take over ownership of their process. And I think that's why we vibe so well together. Yeah. I think generally a lot of our audience is very much interested in kind of the planning space, but also in the data analytics space. And I guess, Luke, one question is, um, what advice would you have to kind of the professionals looking to make either a transition or are just entering into the data analytics space? Like, where do they start? What's like the learning journey? What was the learning, learning journey you went on? And are there like any advice that you can give to, to folks entering into the space. Yeah, for sure. My, my learning journey was a four-year computer science degree. I would not necessarily recommend that. It's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I, what's, what's great about the market today is that there are um, a ton of online courses that can be taken on just how to become a better data analyst. And I think a lot of, organ like, a lot of people that are looking to make that transition into data I think a natural next step would be understanding what it takes to be a solid data analyst. So asking smart questions about how people are using their data and how people are accessing their data. Um, Cause from data analysts, like though it's a very like front facing role um, it requires 
really smart analysis skills. It requires curiosity. Um, and it'll help and kind of inspire her which way you may want to go within your data analytics and data analytics career if you want to keep going is do I want to like get more in the space of like coaching executives, uh, training people how to use their data, or do I want to go like in the weeds of like how this data actually gets sourced and made useful? Or do I want to help them think about new use cases for their data and go into like predictive analytics? So above all else, I think a data data analysis or data analyst and just understanding like what are what are some of the skills to make a successful data analyst would be the best spot to start. Um, and then a skill that will serve everyone in our incredibly data-driven world is just learning SQL. <laughs> uh, SQL is not, I guess, like very technical. It's not very technical. It's It feels hard to approach, but it you'll find that in every, every single time us as an analytics industry, and I'm going to speak for all of us at large, it's probably dangerous, but like we try to like stray away and like hide the fact that SQL is probably operating everything behind the scenes. Like we always find our industry just comes right back into like SQL oriented systems. And so if you can speak SQL, if you can write SQL, you're starting to learn that language that's going to make you dangerous within the data space. And so I think if you can, if you can sit down and, and work your way through some, a little bit of like programming, I've got air quotes, programming, uh, uh, type language, uh, SQL will serve you well. Yeah. I love that. I, uh, I learned SQL. I took a course on it and it was during the course that I, I didn't learn a single ounce of SQL code for, I think the first four or five weeks it was all about just database theory, relational databases. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I got bored and in class, I actually went to free code Academy and did their SQL course. And in 45 minutes on that during a class, I learned more about SQL coding than I had in the whole class. And that kind of opened my eyes to the, the fact that I can learn what I want anytime. Uh, but SQL is hugely beneficial. When I went over to Salesforce, it just became, you know, SQL, which is Salesforce's version of it. Same exact <laughs> thing with a few some, uh, restrictions. But yeah, you're right. SQL is important. Um, but mm -hmm. so this episode has been about data, contains a lot of data about data, ironically. And uh, I think we should go into a couple of fun questions or, or more lighthearted stuff. And the first one I really want to know, you personally, when you're dealing with some of the software, what are like your top I don't know, three or four tools? Maybe one from the database side, the integration side, and then visualization. If you had to pick three to four tools to use every single time, what would you choose? Yeah, man, tough questions at the end here. <laughs> uh, so I I have a long history with working with uh, Tableau as a data visualization tool. Uh, I actually was one of the founders of the Twin Cities Tableau user group. And so a lot of my brand and a lot of my career success, I owe a lot to that trajectory of just what Tableau had become <laughs> from 2011 till now. Uh, I just to give it a quick pitch on it is like as a data engineer that was looking for ways to move faster to connect with my business users. I love that Tableau made it dangerously easy for me to like work with data in the way that I wanted to almost like it was like a extension of my hands to be able to put visualizations in front of people really fast. Cause prior to that, it was taking me three to six months of building these fancy like business object reports and everyone was just downloading to Excel. It just felt very like incomplete. Uh, some other ones that I'll call attention to is like, I, I've been a huge fan of the movement of uh, what Snowflake has been provided for the cloud data warehousing space. Uh, I think I saw it quite early on, I guess, in their cycle, like 2016, 2017, where they were putting just a layer of a, uh, of a 
abstraction, but also just making it easier for people to be able to digest what the heck like AWS and Google and Azure were all working on. Uh, and I think it was a really smart move. And I think it's made it definitely more approachable for organizations to um, just be able to move to the cloud and not feel scared about it. Um, yeah, I mean, as far as like another one that I'm just kind of keeping my eyes on is uh, Sigma Computing is another one that I've just been keeping uh, tabs on their, you know, just incredible approach to trying to build a familiar interface that feels and looks a lot like Excel without the limitations of being slow and cumbersome like Excel can be. Uh, and so I love I love their approach to try to reduce the friction of trying to access your data. And they're definitely my dark horse candidate to watch in the analytics space. Yeah, I found that the uh, cooler the name, the uh, cooler the product, right? Snowflake's cool name. It's one of the better ones. I think you're right, though, with Snowflake's movement and trying to get people more comfortable with databases and, and how that functions versus a standard SQL database. You know, to your point, not learning SQL, trying to navigate and build SQL tables is pretty scary. So I like what they're doing. Um, any experience with Alteryx? Any, um, anything you're looking at for that? Yeah. Yeah. Alteryx, Alteryx is definitely one that was, uh, a big part of my original kind of consulting journey. Um, I love that they were able to bring, uh, a lot of like self-service analytics concepts to the data engineering space. And so it made it really easy for everyday users to feel empowered enough to essentially write left joins, inner, jo inner joins without having to understand that they're writing SQL and made it a very step-by-step -step process. Uh, so I think they did, they've done a really great job of uh, really opening up data engineering for people that don't even know that they're doing data engineering. And of course, have had a number of great uh, predictive components that they've thrown in there to help people be data scientists without really knowing that they're doing data science. Um, and I think tools like Alteryx and Tableau uh, have really just opened up the market for people to feel like they can, and they should, they, the people can become data people without having to carry this big credential of a, you know, a computer science degree, whatever. Uh, everyone is empowered to be able to access their own data and do some damage with it, which, which is just good for the industry at large. Awesome. Well, it's been very insightful. Uh, I would like to close here with, you know, where people can find you. You're very active on LinkedIn. I've seen your posts quite a bit lately, trying to educate the, the industry and, and help people understand what they truly need. So where can people find you? You know, don't shy away from any of your channels. We want to, we want to hear where we can learn more about data drive and more about Luke. Yeah. Some, some would say I post too much on LinkedIn, but <laughs> yes, you can absolutely find me on LinkedIn. Uh, so feel free to reach out to me and, uh, definitely engage with my posts. It always makes me feel good. Uh, uh, my email is luke at go, go datadrive.com. And you can learn more about uh, DataDrive's Analytics Accelerator, which is our analytics managed service at godatadrive.com. Awesome. Well, Luke, I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing the world of data with us. Obviously, we will have you back on because I think data is going to keep growing. What tools we use to see it and manipulate it are going to keep growing. And I think maybe we can have some more uh, strategic discussions, how it would tie in with our planning platform more in the future, but uh, very inspirational or insightful rather um, conversation. And I, I thank you for coming on. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. You guys are awesome. Thank you for listening to the best practice podcast. We hope you have gained a few valuable insights from our guests and hosts during this episode. If you would like to hear more best practices, be sure to subscribe and follow along so you can catch every episode as we release them to the community on a weekly basis. 